Welcome to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. I'm very proud to say that today because I have a very amazing guest, Eric Turner, the guitarist from one of my all-time favorite bands, Warrant, is here. I had an amazing interview with him. I don't know. I, I'm going to say amazing probably about 20 times. Uh, so usually I'll do these intros. I'll write a little bit up and I'll just kind of read that because I don't want to stumble and say the wrong thing. But this time I thought I'd do something a little bit different and just kind of shoot from the hip and just say what I feel because I'm just kind of on a high right now because I just had this interview with a guitarist from one of my favorite bands. So I want to kind of ride that momentum wave and just continue to talk about how great it was. Uh, so basically, uh, Warrant, for me, I started getting into rock in like eighth grade. I remember there was this kid, and he had long, curly black hair, and he sat behind me in history class, and he had a Warrant Cherry Pie t-shirt. I thought, that's a pretty cool t-shirt. It's like this waitress, girl, whatever the you know the album cover is, if you look at that. And I just thought it was, looked cool. And I was just started to get into rock, and I remember getting that CD from the library, because uh, I saw it there and I was like, oh, I'll check this out. And I remember listening to it and just like every song was good. And I was like, oh, this is such a great CD. And then, of course, I, you know, got their uh, debut album, Dirty Rotten, Filthy Stinking Rich. And that's another one where like every song on the album is great. Uh, and then, of course, you know, they had a couple songs on the Gladiator soundtrack, We Will Rock You, the cover and a song called The Power that were great. Uh, and then their third album, Dog Eat Dog, which was not necessarily a commercial success. It sold over 500,000 copies. It's gold record. Um, but that was kind of like the end of times for that kind of music. Alice in Chains, Seattle scene took over. But I loved the Doggy Dog record. I loved their other re records in the 90s, Ultraphobic, Belly to Belly. Uh, they continued to make music. They changed singers a couple times. I love all their albums. I have every single one. I've even listened to a lot of the demos and, and rarities and things. I've seen them live a few times. I've never got to see them with Janie Lane, which is, that's the original singer. So that's kind of sad, but definitely just a diehard. I mean, you can see the poster over here about that when they were in town. I'm just a diehard. I just, something about that band just to me sounded really, I love the songs, the look, look, the music died. Cause I've just kept going on about this. So um, I'll just continue to talk about how great of a band this is. I think you'll enjoy this interview. If you don't know the story, you'll hear a lot of it in this interview. You can do some Google and uh, listen to their music. Listen to all their albums. There's a lot of really good hidden gems on Ultraphobic. We talk about the song Stronger Now. It's a great, it's a kind of a Paul McCartney Blackbird kind of Beatles-esque song. Great song. Probably no one's heard of it, but tell that's why I'm telling you about it now. Check it out. Check out all their records. Uh, there's something for everybody. There's just good music. And so it was really exciting to talk to him. And they say, you know, don't meet your heroes. Fuck that. Uh, Eric Turner was awesome. He's super nice. And he's definitely one of my heroes. So he made my dreams come true today by doing this interview. And I had a blast talking with him. So check it out. Enjoy. Welcome to the show. This is amazing. All right. Look at this. Look at what I got. Oh, I like yours better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's autograph number three seventy nine. It's pretty cool. It's numbered. Wow, that's, yeah, that's really cool. That's a that's a collectible bottle now. Uh, no longer in the wine business. Had a lot of fun doing it, but uh, yeah, no more no more wine for me unless I go to the liquor store and buy it. Oh uh, yeah. So what happened that <laughs> that uh, it just didn't work out for you for doing that business? Nine or? had nine great years with it, and it was just time to. Uh, to do something else, like 
guitars. Yeah, you do a lot of stuff. I've uh, <laughs> done a lot of like you guys do the uh, TV and film music, and you've got the uh, um, obviously Warrant and uh, all sorts. You got a song and Guitar Hero. You got all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. Try and stay busy, man. Always finding something to do. If I don't have anything to do, I'll make something up and do that. I, I think this is amazing, though, because um, you didn't like school because you said it got in the way of what you really wanted to do. But like how many other kids say that? Like, oh, school, I'm just going to I'm going to be a rock star and said like instead uh, why do you think that you succeeded and so many others didn't? You must have seen a lot of bands fall through the wayside in the 80s and 90s that had the talent but just never made it. Yeah, I was just had blind uh, ambition. Um, I just, uh, I don't, there's just a feeling inside me that, um, you know, um, we're going to make it, not me. We, we, the band, we're going to make it. Um, and we worked real hard and we built up a following on the Sunset Strip and we would hand out, you know, 5,000 flyers for a show. And we we're always building different stage sets and, you know, everything, all the time we had, any spare time, any spare money always went into the show, the band, promotion. And uh, eventually uh, it started paying off with sold out shows every time we played. Then then we started selling out two nights in a row. Then we started selling out three nights in a row. And this is a band that doesn't have a record deal. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, eventually, the- eventually we got signed. So in those early days, I mean... W- it was a struggle, right? I'm assuming the first few gigs, it was maybe not as big as you wanted, but you just kept going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the first show we played was at the Troubadour on a Tuesday night. It was actually a really cool gig though, because, uh, Yngwie Malmsteen was playing with his new singer. I I think it might've been their first show with uh, Jeff Scott Soto. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was the first time I met Jeff was that night. And then, uh, yeah, so it was really cool. I mean, I was a huge Alcatraz fan, you know, Steeler, of course, Yngwie Malmsteen solo. So being on the same bill as him, my very first time on stage at a, you know, real proper club, the Troubadour in Hollywood, and uh, Yngwie's out there watching us play. That was a little nerve wracking. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So they kind of already had had a little bit of a following when you joined the band. But I I heard this the other day. This is a crazy story. So before you joined Warrant, uh, there was another uh, band that you were in. I don't know, were were you in the band, but you played or auditioned or something with Izzy Stradlin from Guns N' Roses. He was playing drums and you got together with him. Yeah, I met uh, some friends of mine. You know, we play in garage bands and there's a group of musicians locally. And my buddy Mike Delaney called me and he's like, hey, man, we, we got a new drummer. Uh, come over to the garage or house or bedroom, wherever the hell it was. And we went over there and, and that's the first time I met Izzy. He was playing drums. And so then that, you know, we just probably jammed a couple of times. It's so long ago, really blurry. But um, he did sell his drum set and he was looking to buy a PA. My friend had a PA that he was selling. So Izzy bought it. And then we got together, Izzy and I once or twice hanging out at uh, this place called Tri-City Park and started writing some songs. And not too long after that, I got a knock on the door. It was Izzy and he says, I'm going to Hollywood. Do you want to go? And uh, I was 16 years old at the time and said, no, (laughs) I don't want to go to Hollywood. I'm not ready to to leave home. Yet, Do you have a so. copy of those songs anywhere that you wrote with Izzy? Uh, there was no recording or anything oh, okay. like that. Acoustic guitars and some beers and who knows what else out by the leg. You That's know. cool. I heard Throwing some ideas around. Yeah. And so then I see him. Then I moved to LA when I'm 19 
and I'm at the, the Troubadour comes up again. We're out front of the Troubadour. There's Izzy handing out uh, Hollywood Rose flyers, and he's wearing a pink leather jacket and, you know, all rocked out and stuff. So uh, we reconnected a little bit. And That's then, cool. Uh, after Guns N' Roses got huge, we, uh, you know, I haven't seen them since then. But I did, you know, I'd go see Guns N' Roses play at the Roxy and the Troubadour and places like that and say hi to Izzy, you know. That's super cool. There And there was another one that, I see, I thought I knew everything about Warrant, but I'm doing my research and I'm like, what the, you almost joined Megadeth? Or you, you had an audition or, or something <laughs> with Dave Mustaine? How the hell do you know, how the hell do you know this, man? I did my research. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Um, when I was 16, there was a, a paper called The Recycler in Orange County, and there was an ad in there. I had never heard of Metallica at the time, but oh. uh, it says ex-Metallica guitarist forming new band Megadeth. And, uh, you know, inquire if you're interested. So I contacted Dave through the paper, the phone or whatever. And I went down, I think it was Huntington Beach, and it was his mom's apartment or something there that he was staying at i don't know who's i think it was his mom i don't know i could be wrong but anyways i met dave we talked and uh that was it i never got past um that audition as to the next level of actually jamming with dave but uh, years later we lived in the same uh apartment building in sherman oaks dave and i and i would see him at different places and oh. say hi and i reminded him of that story and um yeah he's yeah. always he's always been super cool to me yeah, that's cool. Well, and it's kind of interesting because maybe he didn't think you were right fit for Megadeth, but uh, the band that you were in, when you were in Warrant, before Janie and all them joined, uh, the singer and the drummer left to form a new band called Hot Wheels, and they didn't like you or they didn't think you guys were a good fit because they thought you were like too heavy, which is kind of interesting because a lot of people think Warrant's too poppy or whatever, but they thought you were too heavy. Yeah, the guys wanted, you know, our drummer, uh, Max and Adam, our singer, they wanted to put together a Hollywood super group of club guys, you know, or mm. whatever it was. So I think, um, gosh, I'm trying to think what the other band was Mickey Knight or something like that. Mm. And you know, two guys from Warrant, a few guys from Mickey Knight, they got together and formed a new band. I don't remember the name of the band. Maybe it was Hot Wheels. Yeah, but, uh, Hot Wheels with yeah, a Z. So so. Things were going great for Warren. We were doing, we were playing shows, building up the following, and then we played a gig in San Diego. And the next morning, they're like, "Hey, let's have a meeting." And Max and Adam, the way I remember it, told told me that uh, you know it's just musical differences. You know, you're way into Iron Maiden, Eric, which, which I was, and uh, Jerry. You know, you're too. You know, you're really into Black Sabbath, and those bands are real cool and all. But we want to do something different and they kind of put it like that i forget what they said to josh i don't know what they i don't know what they said but anyways yeah. they tried to let us down as easy as possible it's all musical differences and then so josh jerry and i are driving back up to la from san diego and the first person whose name came up was uh that that band playing jane their singer that guy was great we played a couple shows with playing jane amazing vocals amazing frontman. so we're like let's contact him and that's what we did and the rest is history. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. That uh, he, you actually were looking at a different drummer, but Janie said uh, it's a package deal. You got to take my drummer with me, Stephen Sweet. That's <laughs> pretty. Hell? That's good How loyalty. How do you know this stuff? Were you there? Out, <laughs> I've heard you tell yeah, the story. There was a band called Taz, if I remember correctly. I think it was Kenny. We wanted Kenny, the drummer from Taz. We thought he'd be a great fit, and then Janie on vocals, and then Janie said, "Hey, man, I'll." I'll join your band, but uh, you got to bring Steven. We said, okay. 
And yeah. if you ever heard the two of them sing together, you just like it was an easy yes. It was yeah. Like, okay. It He's got great, the, those the two backup guys vocals. Like birds together. Yeah. yeah so then to complete the band, you got uh, Joey Allen. You rent, you met him at a liquor store. But I also, I heard this um, the other day. This is interesting that he was. <laughs> I met Joey at a liquor store. Isn't that what it was? You ran into him at like a liquor store funny. or something? No, I knew Joey from high school. We were in a band together for a little while, right around, I was 18 or so. And it was my last band I tried to get going or be in a band even in Orange County at all. And it was called Nightmare 2. And so Joey and I, um, yeah, we played in that band for like a two weeks and then he quit to some other band and hmm. then I left and moved to LA. But uh, no, I had known Joey before. Okay. Before Did he, is it true that he played in a band with Lars Ulrich from Metallica? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Him. They had a three piece and uh, they jammed together for a while. And then I don't know what, I don't know what happened. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> but yeah, years later, you know, yeah. we're out on the road and tours and different places and clubs hanging out at some of the same nightclubs as Lars and uh, those guys would see each other and, and talk and that's cool <laughs> yeah so, yeah so yeah and then tell me like you you said you know you guys work so hard and explain to the some of our younger listeners what like the term flyering means like it's where you're handing out flyers and you're posting flyers and you guys had like these like really like tongue-in-cheek kind of uh, flyers that you would make up like muff diving team and stuff like that. LA, LA's number one muff diving team are playing at the, <laughs> the Gazaris, yeah. And so we'd hand out flyers that said stuff like that, you know. Uh, the sec, you know, our names warrant, you know, sex police on one flyers <laughs> or scratch and sniff or I mean we every flyer had its own tongue-in-cheek sexual thing on it. Was it kind of like a war though? Would you like tear down the other band's flyers and put yours up over it or something or? No, we never needed to do that. Never needed to do that. We were, uh, we were, we were blessed, man. We had a strong following and, um, and we always got along with other bands from what I remember, you know, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like the the occasional little, uh, you know, to, you know, shit based at uh, one 30 in the morning on Jack Daniels, you know, usually might say something a little, nasty to somebody but you know it was it was all good we're really good friends with pretty much everybody that's cool so then it's around this time the major labels start taking interest in you guys and um you had a song on the or i guess it wasn't on the soundtrack for bill and ted's excellent adventure but it was it was played in the movie game of war and that's kind of no that's that's not what happened you're real close though so we had done a bunch of demos for a and m records guy aaron jacobus was producing us doing some artist development and he had never, he had mentioned a record deal a couple of times, but it never came to fruition. And then he, he is the uh, music supervisor for Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. And he asked us to write a song and record a song for that soundtrack. So that was the first time we actually, you know, he hired a producer, Stevie Salas and uh, David Kirschenbaum, I believe. And we went in because most of the demos we did for Aaron were like two track live you know, record 18 songs, a two track live and uh, over at A&M studios and stuff like that. So we did our first proper recording. It turned out great. Uh, Columbia records had been coming around watching us play. Our manager played that track for, uh, for Ron Oberman over at Columbia records. And he's like, wow, okay, this is what they sound like on, on record. And he signed us. Yeah. And, and, this- so once, and then, and Aaron had had many multiple chances to sign us, but for whatever reason, he felt we weren't ready. That's his, oh. per, that was his opinion. And in Columbia made an offer and then guys from Geffen started coming around and then some other labels, Gene Simmons even called 
the house and and was asking about warrant and what what's going on with our record deal and stuff like that so um when A&M heard that we signed with Columbia they pulled the song off the soundtrack before they released oh, the song oh okay so yeah so that's what happened so uh, unfortunately you know it would have been great to be on that soundtrack i wish that song was on there and just some funny little record company story for you people they uh we're doing our first record and we asked them if we could use the song and they said no uh, on our first album AM AM did this you know this is all news from my manager i heard from my manager i didn't actually talk to anybody at AM, but mm. uh so they said no so game of war we were like okay well we got enough songs for the first album we don't have to put it on there so janie was a prolific writer but the, the funny part is a year later our manager's like yeah, we were able to get uh, Game of War back. We, had, you know, we had to buy it back. And uh, oh yeah, how much? One dollar. What? They sold us. They wouldn't let us use it on our first album, and then they sold the rights or whatever for one dollar back to us. It's some, you know, funny, weird uh, music label, record label insanity weird shit that doesn't make sense yeah there's a lot it seems like there's a lot of politics and shit like that like it took you guys six months to you had the contract and everything was signed but it, it was like all these like lawyers trying to squeeze pennies out and so you guys went on the road without having the record actually out because they were still trying to work out the contract deals is that what well, happened no the contract was done and the record was done and it was really smart of the label really looking back i mean we were excited and they're like let's get it out let's get it out and they're like you know what we got a really good record here. We don't want it to get lost in the Christmas traffic. We're going to be release, releasing my Mariah Carey and Michael Jackson and you know all the big time superstars. We don't want your record to get lost in that shuffle. So mm-hmm. we're pushing your release date back to February of uh, whatever it was, 1989. And so our manager said, well, if you're going to, the guys don't want to sit around for six months. We have a couple opportunities where they can go out on the road with the malls and they can go out on the road with um, girls school, which was uh, one of our label mates. So we hopped in a, the cheapest bus we could find. And, you know, we're getting like 200 bucks a night and the record label gave us like $10,000 to help cover expenses. And we went out and started touring America. Nobody knew who the hell we were. We were playing clubs, laundromats, uh, arcades, roller rinks. I mean, it was just a mishmash of anywhere we could get a gig every night. Were you so, making fans on that trip? Were you turning people I into so. fans? Yeah. I think so, yeah. A little bit, you know. There's small, not a lot of people at these gigs, but yeah, definitely. There was no internet or anything like right. that. It wasn't like people were coming out to the show and posting videos on social media. It was just like... They saw the show, took took pictures, had to wait two weeks to get them developed <laughs> if they turned out any good. Yeah. Is <laughs> you know, tr- we signed some autographs. We, you know, it was, it was funny, though, because the first two months we went out, we would go to clubs in different places and nobody would give us a time of day. And then uh, uh, Down Boys came out and was a mm. huge hit on MTV and on radio. And so... Uh, I mean, not a huge hit at audio at, at radio, but MTV played the crap out of the video, and the song did really well at radio. I think it went top twenty or something like that at, on Billboard. So, all of a sudden, everybody is being super nice to us. Everybody wanted to party with us. Yeah, it did was it, good. Did it feel like when <laughs> I you prefer that? Yeah, I when you were everybody re- wanted to party with us, and for sure. Not. 
Yeah. When, when you're recording Down Boys and Heaven and, and that whole first album in the studio, did it did it feel like magical? You're like, oh my gosh, this thing's going to blow up. Or was it just like, we don't know what's going to happen. Who knows? Well, I was just hoping we would sell enough records that the label would make enough money that they'll give, let us make a second record and then a third record. You know, that was my thought. Jerry kept walking around the studio saying, you guys ready to be rich? You, all, you guys ready to be rich? We're going to be rich, man. I'm like, okay, I hope you're, I hope you're right. Yeah. Is it true yeah, that so he was like, he, he had a good feeling about it. Is and it then Bo, yeah. uh, Bo and Joey had a bet. Um, I think Bo Hill said, if the record goes gold to Joey, I'll give you um, this black Les Paul custom that we were using in the studio. Mm. It was Bo's. And uh, so the record obviously went, you know, double platinum and beyond. And on Joey's birthday, we had a party for Joey and Bo showed up with that guitar in his, his hand and gave it to Joey. That's awesome. <laughs> he said he would. Yeah. Like he said he would if the record went gold. Is it true? That, funny is, story. Yeah, that's awesome. Is it true that Janie Lane uh, blew his advance on a black Corvette and then crashed it? Um, I don't I don't think he crashed it. Or maybe a fender bender or something. Oh, okay. I, don't, I don't remember him crashing it, but Not yeah, total. We went and bought a black. We had a lot of fun in that that Corvette. Janie and I were roommates for years. We yeah, still were after, after we got signed. So yeah, all of a sudden we had this black Corvette to go cruise around in and go to Hollywood and stuff. It was cool. Yeah, and so then I think was the first big tour you did. Uh, Paul Stanley opening for him from Kiss. Yeah, yeah, that was clubs. Uh, it was a club tour. Paul was doing a solo tour. And I think it was about three weeks long and we were the opening act. And um, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, geez, I, we're all huge Kiss fans, of course. So in his band, everybody in the band was super cool. Eric Singer was with him at the time. That was when we first met Eric, super nice guy. And so, yeah, it started, we went to Paul Stanley to like Eddie Money for a few weeks to, you know, two nights with Poison and Tesla and then, you know, a few weeks with Rat and Great White. It's just a mishmash. Of, you know, then we go to Europe, we go to Canada, you know, we go to Japan, come back, more club dates. It was just, you know, a few dates with Queensryche. We never got a real tour. And well, then, then Motley Crue, right? That was well, the big yeah, one, 89? After, after a year. Yeah, we did 162 shows. Or no, 200. Was it 262? We did 262 shows in support of Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich. And I think... You know, maybe 80 of them were with Motley. I okay. Mean, everything else was just us headlining a theater or, you know, we we're, we're as the band got, you know, a couple million records under our belt, we still couldn't get an opening slot on a big tour. It took hmm. forever. So we started playing theaters and stuff like that. And they were selling out and um, they were doing real well. So it was uh, it was great. It was just a little frustrating seeing all the other bands from our genre going out with, you know, Bon Jovi and then jumping from Bon Jovi to Aerosmith and then jumping from Aerosmith to Motley Crue or whatever, you know what I'm talking about? Just, yeah. And we're like, why can't we get a fucking opening slot on a fucking tour? You know? Why do you think so you couldn't do it? Tour? I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. But uh, we eventually we did. Yeah. So tell me <laughs> about the Motley Crue. And eventually, eventually we did. And we, we got a big one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tour. Tell me about that tour because, you know, everyone's seen the dirt. Everyone knows the story. That was around the time that they had allegedly sobered up and everything. But I heard you talking yeah. about how there was like trays of drinks and drinks would kind of disappear. And like, you know, like Vince Neil was around. So was it, was it mostly Vince well, sneaking the drinks or well, were they all know, doing it? Our or? Man, 
we partied. We we were like we partied hard. Warren did like really hard when we uh, started touring and drinking a lot and that that everybody knew. And so um, we got the tour, and our manager's like, "Yeah, hey, I got the good news is I got the tour. The bad news is it's a dry tour. You guys can't have any alcohol uh, backstage or this or that." We're like, "What about on the bus?" You know. You know? So we're going in there, going, preparing ourselves to whatever, just leave the arena and go party like we did anyways most of the time. But uh, we get there the very first night of the tour. Motley Crue's tour manager comes in our dressing room with a, a big like wheel tray, like at a restaurant or whatever. And it's got 24 bottles of Jack Daniels on top of it. And it says, welcome to the tour, boys. <laughs> but it, it gives you an idea. <laughs> oh, God. Now, as far as I know, those guys were were sober uh, when we first started out. And um, now that's about all I can say. <laughs> so maybe you were the bad influence on Molly Crew, which is kind of funny to think about if you... No, we weren't. Okay. No, nobody's a bad influence on. You can't be an influence on Motley Crue. Those guys, <laughs> those guys are the kings, man. Are you still friends with those guys? I mean, you must have like crossed paths many times. Never. I see Vince every time I see Vince Neil. He's super cool. I honestly never see anybody. I don't. I don't run into Tommy or Nikki or Mick Mars or anybody like that. So mm, okay. um, if I saw him, I'm sure it'd be cool. You know, say hi, yeah. whatever. But um, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not in touch with with any of those guys but i do see vince a handful of times every year at, every year it shows and always super cool always great to catch up and talk to him that's cool so yeah and then yeah. The, the cherry pie album so the story goes uh, the people who don't know uh, it was originally called uncle tom's cabin and uh, it was done and then the manager of the label or whatever said hey where's the hit we need like a love in the elevator kind of song so then they made janie go back I don't know how you just nobody, make yeah, somebody they didn't make it. They well, didn't make they it. Suggested so. or it's just a, it's just you when the label president calls and says, "Hey, bud, can you do me a favor and write a song like Pour Some Sugar on Me' and Love in an Elevator'? You, you give it a try. You give it a shot. So that's what Janie did. And then um, we went in and demoed it, sent it to New York. The record was all done pretty much. All all the drums, everything were torn down. We're mixing and stuff. And Donnie Einer uh loved it and said let's let's record it man get back in there and record it so we brought the drums back in brought everything back in and it was just kind of like just we just weren't i don't want to say we were fucking around but we weren't all uptight about it or anything the record's done it was just everybody felt really loose and let's just go in we had some friends from danger danger in town we're like hey let's let's get those guys come down and do gang vocals with us and janie and uh well, all of us, you know, would always see CC out and hanging out with CC all the time, and so we invited him to play the solo on the song. And um, guitarist from Poison, yeah, it was yeah. just a really loose, fun thing. And and thank God Donnie Arner asked asked for it. And then we just said, you know, well, this is a great name for the record, and just everything just kind of fell into place. It's amazing that you could just say, "Hey, go write a hit," and he and he did it. Like he rose to the occasion. Yeah, he's good at that. He was good at that. He is so prolific. I mean, I can't even tell you how many songs he wrote that you all never heard that were amazing. I've heard a lot of them. Yeah, one amazing. of them. The one we only of, had ten songs on on our records. You know, we weren't one of those bands that put seventeen songs. That's on. true. And it's not because we didn't have them. We had plenty of songs. Just for whatever reason, Janie was like, "We're only putting ten songs on the records." So, and okay. Yeah. So another. Song that it was a hit too. I saw red. 
Um, is it so the story with that was that Janie walked in on his best friend uh, having sex with his girlfriend? Is that what it was? I never. I, I <laughs> he said that on stage. Oh, he'd say stuff that like that. I don't know. He said it's the only true song he ever wrote. And he still hates he that fucking bitch or something like that. And, and, and he didn't say that to me. He would okay. say that to 10,000 people out in the crowd. This is the only true song I ever wrote. And then he'd say, and I still hate that fucking bitch or something like that. And then we'd go into the song. So I, I don't know. But I you, think that really? was just, my, personally, I think it was a stage shtick. Oh. People would go crazy oh. when he said that. I mean, it'd get a great, great response. So he was an amazing front man and uh, he had the gift of gab and he would just. We talked a lot. On yeah. Stage. Yeah. So, that, and then you guys did the, uh, you opened for poison and then you did the, you did your, finally got your own tour doing uh, stadiums with a uh, firehouse and trickster, the blood, sweat and beers tour. I've heard so many stories about this, but is there any stories that you have that you haven't told before or that anything that stands out from that tour? It sounded like just so much fun. I mean, it, was just, it was just a blast. We, uh, it was, it was sheds, you know, outdoor sheds. It wasn't stadiums. Um, but it was really cool, you know, be playing to five, 10,000 people a night and Trickster and Firehouse were opening and we just loved those guys, loved the crew, all the crew, all the bands, everybody just got, got along great. And um, I think we booked like six weeks and it was going really well. So they just kept adding shows and adding shows and adding shows. So it ended up going for, I don't know, five months or six months or something. It was like the top in the top 10 grossing tours of the year. And it was a big success and a hell of a lot of hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. There's a whole podcast people can listen to with you did with Jericho that you tell a lot of stories. It sounded like a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, we all yeah we got uh, Steve and PJ from Trickster and Bob or Bill from Firehouse. Sorry, sorry, Bill, and uh, and myself and of course Jericho. And it was a lot of fun reminiscing and they they were remembering stuff I didn't remember. I'm like, oh well, I don't remember that story. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I, for, I forgot about that. Gee, I wonder why you didn't remember it. Like, who, maybe it was the booze. Busy having fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, like was a, that was like Christmas morning every single day. It was like, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun that tour being the headliner, especially. Did you feel like Santa Claus sometimes? Because I mean, you can make all these people's dreams come true. I mean, there must've been tons of fans that just like shaking their hand. And so, I, heard, I mean, I heard you guys talk about going out to the bars after the show and just hanging out with the fans every night. Yeah. Every night, Janie would announce where we're going. It, we get to town and, and our tour manager would find a club. He'd call the owner and say, the guys are playing tonight at such and such, whatever, you know, amphitheater. And they want a party after the show, you know, and take care of them if they come in. And then oh. more, as far as I know, every time they said yes, because we were, yeah. we'd go out. And it was all it was specific. We wanted a club where there was a band playing and a rock club, you know. And so, uh, yeah, they'd, they would just roll out the red carpet for us and 500 people, or I don't know if how many people actually believed we were going to the oh. club, but we would go every night and it would be packed. And, and you wouldn't course, get, it was safe free enough. drinks yeah. all night and get up with the band and jam. And would you get mobbed by people? Bus. Like people trying well, to get had, autographs? They had security and, and yeah. they had places roped off for oh, us. That's cool. And we had our own security that we traveled with. So, uh, and yeah, get up, jam, drink, make friends and, and then uh, hop on the bus and go do it again the next night. That's cool. And then you had a you had a couple songs on the Gladiator sound, not the Russell Crowe Gladiator, but the one with Cuba Gooding Jr. I love the cover of "We Will Rock You." Um, yeah, the timing on that was horrible. We got asked to do the soundtrack. Janie wrote a song called "The Power" for it, 
and they asked us to do um it wasn't our idea they said hey will you do you know we will rock you we're like hell yeah everybody loves queen it'll be fun we went in we recorded it the movie was coming out they released the the video and the single to radio and i think that week or maybe a couple days before everything went into motion freddie mercury died literally the like a day or two or after we released the song to radio and the video he passed away the timing could not have been worse (laughs) but the song and the video is really cool we had a blast doing it and uh, so even though it wasn't a commercial success it was a great experience and uh, a lot of people you know still bring it up and i see people posting the video and Every now and then the song will pop up on, you know, my Sirius radio or Pandora or Spotify or whatever. Yeah. I love your version because it's different. Would you, would you guys uh, ever bring that back to the live sets? Probably not. We haven't in 30 years. So I don't (laughs) think we will. (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. You never know. I think there might've been a little taste of it actually on the dirty rotten tour. Maybe we just teased it a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know, but we've never played the song. No, we've never played the song live. Okay. Um, so yeah. And then, um, the dog eat dog album, that's a very, I feel like that's a very underrated, uh, album. Janie, uh, said that he wrote it for his peers. He wanted to be respected as a songwriter. Uh, the label really wanted hole in my walls opening single, but Janie pushed for machine gun. Um, yeah. And so, all true. <laughs> yeah. So it's all true. Yeah. Do you think they it would have really been, wanted, they were, they were loving hole in my wall, but he felt really strong about it. And he, he's a very persuasive guy or was. And so he got his way and then that's what we did. Machine gun. Yeah. Do you, do you think that it would have been different having a hole in the wall? I have no, I have no idea. I don't think so. Personally, uh, we could have put out stairway to heaven at the time and it wouldn't have mattered. You know, <laughs> yeah, it would have been a flop. Nobody, the radio, you know, everything changed to uh, grunge. So, you know, glam bands, hair bands, hair metal, whatever you want to call it, was uh, was not gonna was not gonna be played on uh, or, or marketed or promoted. Didn't matter what we did. Yeah. So yeah, tell that story because Janie went to, he'd always gone to do his, a uh, record label meeting and it was like always the picture of a cherry pie was on the wall. And then he came in to do doggy dog promotional thing. And there was a picture of the Allison chains dirt. And so that was like, literally the writing was on the wall that the, the Seattle bands were. Yeah. Kinda... yeah, it was with, they actually, uh, Allison chains got signed, uh, in Seattle. I, we were playing at the, uh, what's the name? Paramount theater or something. And the label and our publisher asked us if we would put Allison chains as the opening act so that they could see him play live because they were interested in signing him. And so that's the night, the night they got signed was opening up for us. And then a year later, they're the the main focus and, and we're not. So there you go. Yeah. That's just kind of, uh, it's interesting because, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I liked both. I was from Seattle and I got into you guys as kind of the tail end of, uh, of warrant, and I liked Alice in Chains. I liked Nirvana. I liked Guns N' Roses. I liked Warrant. So it was just like, I don't understand why there wasn't room for both. I, I never could understand. And I yeah. love the Doggy Dog album. Yeah, I, I agree. But uh, that's just uh, the way the music business is. So, yeah, we loved, I mean, we would go out all the time. Every time I got in Lane's car and we would go to Hollywood or go out, he was cranking that Alice in Chains record. I mean, it just sounded amazing and just a great record. Um I got to be friends with Mike Starr for a little while at the time. I don't know how we met. 
uh, cool dude. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's just no no animosity between us and the bands. It's just the that's just the industry. It's the way it is. Yeah. So, and tell me about this because uh, I always wondered about this in the liner notes of the uh, Doggy Dog album. It says like the the musicians listed here played on every. Uh, note on this album. So there was like this rumor that uh, that you guys had some help on the first uh, two CDs. Mike Slamer, I think. It, like yeah, Mike Slamer. Yeah, Bo Hill brought in Mike Slamer to do some solos. Uh, Joey and I, Jerry, Steve, and everybody played on every song. But uh, some of the solos were Mike. And then on the second record, I just played uh, rhythm guitar and Joey and Mike did the solos. So it was uh, it was all good. And then we did then we did Doggy Dog, and we used Michael Wagner, a different producer. And so Joey played all the guitar solos. And so that's why Janie wanted to put that on there. Yeah, because, I mean, he would he, – so he showed you what to do with the solo. He just created them or whatever. But you guys, like when the live shows, you played what he had showed you to play. Yeah, yeah, just like anybody would. You know, you play this – you hear a solo and you play it. You know, sometimes some guys are play shit note for note. Uh, some guitar players you'll go see and they'll play the song a little different every night. Um, but, you know, just different, different stuff. But yeah. Yeah. And we did play some solos as well. Joey played a bunch of solos. I played some solos. Mike played some solos, stingers and shit like that. Wasn't all Mike, but uh, great guy. Super, super sweet. Nice guy. We got to see him last year. Was it last year or two years ago? He came out to see us play and we got to hang out backstage for, for quite a while. And it was awesome to catch up. Yeah. So, you know, you weren't mad that they were like, then when they said like, Hey, we need this other guy to come in and do the solos or whatever. No, we didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> Never made a record before. Yeah. You know, we got this big time producer rat and kicks and, you know, he's, he's leading the show. He's in charge. He's the boss. He's telling everybody what to do. And it's just like, Oh, okay. All right. That's cool. And then, um, so, you know, the, obviously, like I said, the, the music, the times were changing or whatever, and you called 93 kind of the black year. You said that that was just kind of the perfect storm of terrible things like Janie quit. And then he wanted to sue you guys or, or sorry, somebody no, else. No, he never, he never sued us. No, he never wanted to sue us when he quit. He said, you guys can have the name. I'll write songs with you if you want. I just want to do something different. I'm, you know, he was ready for a change. So our manager, then our manager died. And then we had gotten a million dollar advance from Brockham and we didn't fulfill our commitment that we were supposed to play X amount of shows or sell X amount of merchandise. So we were in default on that. So they sued us for whatever million or two million bucks. It all got it all worked out. <laughs> well, wasn't it a thing like if you had just done like 30 more shows or something like that, then it would have been in the band or something. How do you know all this shit? <laughs> <laughs> I listened to some interviews with you, one or two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Lane. Uh, yeah, Lane was just tired, and we'd been on the road five years nonstop. I don't blame him. He wanted a break, and um, so that was it. Yeah, so we just shit happens when you just shut things down like right away. <laughs> yeah, that's that's sad. I it also I heard that he said something like, I think maybe he maybe he was just drunk or something, but he had said something to you that uh, well, Warren's just my stepping stone for my solo career, and that kind of hurt your feelings though a little bit, right? Because you felt like you guys had were a band and you'd helped each other out, and we were a, we were a band. We'd joke around with each other, you know. What do you call it? You know, when you're ribbing somebody or just fucking with them, yeah. we're always fucking with each other. <laughs> yeah, 
So, so, so yeah, no, it was good. Jamie and I were best friends, and he loved being in Warrant. You could see it every night on stage. That, that guy was having the time of his life, making shit tons of money and everything that goes with it. So you you took um... we all did we all did we all had a great time. So any little remark we did, you can't you can't have thin skin and and be in a band. It's not going to last. Can't get you. You can't get sand in your vagina if somebody <laughs> says something. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. you know it's still that way. So yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's whatever. that's interesting. I was just watching a decline of the Western civilization part two, the Metal Years last night, and uh-huh. I was just going, oh man, like you can't say or do a lot of the stuff that that was done in the eighties or even the early nineties back then. I mean, you did that stuff today. It's hashtag me too. It's all these terrible things. Like, do you think that this generation's gone a little overboard with that stuff? Or, I mean, I feel like, cause like when you guys were doing it, it was all in fun. Everybody was kind of in on it. Right. Or. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, you know, we, uh, we, yeah, you just give, you just mess with your, your bros, man. It's a way of showing love and camaraderie is, uh, and you take a couple digs at them here and there and, and laugh and everybody laughs and somebody takes a few digs at you or hits you back with it and says something and you just just laugh and go out and party and drink and have fun and play music and eat together and travel together and do all kinds of crazy shit together. Yeah. So, yeah, so whatever. I mean, I'm not I think whatever this generation wants to do is fine by me, man. Good good for them, but uh, that's the way it was back then. Back then, we were not all walking around on, you know, little on glass, trying not to offend anybody. Right. God forbid. We we're actually trying to offend. We we're going out of our way to offend each other. Yeah, it's, it's funny because and like, we laughed and we laughed about it. Yeah, like the cherry pie video, even like that was like considered at the time, even it was actually a little risque or whatever. But I look back on that and I go, oh, it's just like a cute girl dancing around. Why is that so bad? Like. Yeah, it's G-rated. Yeah. That's, that video is G-rated. I mean, it's tongue-in-cheek. It's innuendo. I mean, you listen to lyrics today. Oh, my God. Like the you know, my, Cardi my B? My son's 19 years old. I hear the stuff that he listens to. I'm just, I start blushing. <laughs> I mean, it's unreal. Yeah, have you heard wow. the, I mean, the new song, Yeah, wow. the WAP. Wow. There you go. That's yeah. pretty crazy. That's, that's a hit. That's a hit. You know? yeah. and, you think, and you think Cherry Pie is... is <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, oh that's my god true. are you kidding me yeah yeah so uh going back to the history of the band here so yeah in the 90s you had ultraphobic and belly to belly both albums that i really like and like you said uh some of the songs that janie wrote uh you know they're not even big hits but like i really like the song stronger now that's on the ultraphobic it's kind of like a blackbird kind of like ver- yeah. kind of thing with acoustic guitar um, yeah, it's like kind of like a more than words blackbird yeah. you know, this really really beautiful song just acoustic guitar great song if it had come out you know at the right time 87 88 you know 89 i think the song would have would have been a hit but um like i said during those years especially 95 96 any all throughout the 90s um you know we were persons non grata when it comes to mainstream music and touring and just everything you know magazines so but luckily that started turning around in 2000 yeah and so then uh, you guys uh actually in 2008 you hadn't spoken to janie in four years and then uh so there was a lawsuit at this point right for the band name but you guys i heard you say you settled the the thing in like 10 minutes i don't know i don't know anything about that i'm not i'm not going to talk about lawsuits thank you okay (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, yeah, no, but anyway, I'm, I'm here to. I'm not here to have a legal. No, 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 no. But it was just like so. Anyways, but we we, say, we got back together yeah. in 2007. It was great, and um, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I really it was so great to have them back in the band and hang out together. And that was the first time we all got back together. Um, we had played. We hadn't played together with the five original guys in 14 14 years. So it was awesome. Yeah, it sounded really good, right? Oh yeah, it sounded great, and it was fun. And then uh, things started happening, and shows started canceling. And then we just decided, you know, this isn't going to work right now. Let's, um, you know, maybe we can try it again later. And yeah, it was, uh, it's a rough road. I don't want to get into all that drama or negativity. My memories with with Lane are, are really good, and um, I'll keep it that way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then well, so things didn't work out with Lane. And then uh, Robert Mason joins the band. He was a, a, a originally in a Lynch Mob. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just remember this is like going off memory. But I feel like I remember in the reading like Metal Edge, like when I was a kid in the 90s, like because there was a brief time when Lane had left the band then, like in 92 or 93. Did you try to get Robert Mason in at that point as well? I don't know why we didn't. I don't think we did. No, you didn't. Okay. Um, yeah, Janie quit the band in 93 or so. We decided to try and find another singer and carry on, and we never we never did find another singer. And six months later, I, I my phone's ringing. I pick it up, and it's Janie, and he said he wanted to come back to the band. So mm-hmm. I was like, wow, let me talk to the other guys. And we all said yes, and Lane, Lane came back. And we started doing some writing and some recording and doing starting to play some shows a little bit here and there. And then I think Joey quit right at that time I'm about and to then start, yeah. yeah so we were just starting to get get it going again joey quit and then Janie had been playing with uh, rick steyer and james kotak when he was doing his solo stuff and he's like we decided to make a change of drums and we brought in rick and james kotak and that's when that lineup came together for mm-hmm. the uh, ultraphobic why do you why do you think you stayed with the band i mean uh, Janie and Steven and Joey kind of were in and out and there was other people. It was like, why, why do you think you stayed with it? So why didn't you quit or try something else or go back to school? I did. Actually in 2007, I took a hiatus oh, for you? health purposes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't play with the band for a year, but uh, I was still involved, still, you know, went out and jammed with the guys when they were in town and stayed friendly with, with everybody. I just needed a break. <laughs> Yeah, and get off the road for a year and let my liver rest. <laughs> so yeah, and then I came back and well, it must have been ninety seven, ninety eight, something like that. But I played on all the records and I just took a break from touring. That's know? cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's always been uh, you know Jerry and I have pretty much just carried carried on, carried the tour, tried yeah. to keep it tried to keep it going. In two thousand four, Janie wanted to do other stuff. And so we got that, we took that opportunity to invite Steven and, uh, and Joey back. Joey so back, yeah. They came back. Yeah. So yeah. then we had four out of five original guys. We got Jamie St. James from this band, black and blue that we yeah. all loved. We all, we all loved the saint and we toured together for a few years. We made a record called born again. Yeah, with the saint. That was a lot of fun. And uh, so we've always just kind of kept it going. Yeah, and, uh, hard to believe that Robert's been in the band for uh, twelve years now. Yeah, and you guys sound great. I just saw you when you're in Phoenix uh, a few months ago. It sounded amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, here's something I always want to ask you about. I love this song. Um, 
the last action hero. Did you guys make that for the last action hero soundtrack? And then it just didn't get picked up or something. Cause I heard like the demo or whatever it is, the rough cut version. It's really good. Yeah. They were looking for a title track and uh, Janie had heard about it or somebody asked them to write a song and, and submit it. So that's what we did. And I thought it was a really cool song, but um, they didn't pick it for the, the soundtrack, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. That sucks. I think, Guns and Ro- I think it was guns and roses. On, on that soundtrack actually uh, great great song tesla yeah. i think was the title track or yeah but there's a bunch that whole soundtrack's good i was like you guys would have been a perfect fit for that but oh well um that so the other uh, talking about the dog going back to dog eat dog the 30th anniversary of that album's coming up in a what like a year, couple years right are you do you think you'll do anything Another special year, yeah you think you'll do anything uh, special like a re-release I don't, I don't know what we're gonna do for that we're hoping that uh in 2021 we'll be able to celebrate the 30 year anniversary of cherry pie would be nice. It actually just turned 30 officially on September 11th Yeah, of this, of this year, which was just, you know, this month. That's amazing. <laughs> do you think that you would so do it's officially 30 years old now? That's and so crazy. we're going to carry on. We got all the staging done. We, we, we got all this new set list and a bunch of new stuff for the tour that, we were going to do all year for cherry pie and then COVID happened. And mm. so obviously everything got canceled and we're hoping next year we'll just pick up where we left off and go out and celebrate uh, cherry pie every night. Do you think you'll do a, a blood, sweat and beers part two tour? Cause that sounds like it was so much fun the first time. Never, never say never. I, I don't see any plans. We've, we've tried to do that once or twice in the past, not a full tour, but we'll just play, you know, it'll be trickster and firehouse and warrant we'll go play two nights or something, you know, here and there at state fair or casinos or, you know, stuff like that. We've never taken a full, like put a package together and had our agents go out and try and pitch it. You never know. That'd be cool. And you're also hoping you want to open for like Van Halen or Bon Jovi. You've never opened for (laughs) for those two guys, right? No, no. Um, Yeah. I mean, who doesn't, wish that you know there's van halen of course the great mighty van halen and uh, bon jovi's great we actually did play a show with bon jovi and it was at the palladium and it was the uh, i don't know if you remember rip magazine yeah oh yeah long friend and, rip, yeah, yeah they would do the rip party every year and the uh, one year that we got invited to do it was the year that bon jovi was headlining Oh, nice. That was pretty cool. Saw those guys in the hallway and we got to play. And I don't remember the other bands that played. It wasn't just us two bands. But um, yeah, so in a way, yeah, we got to play one show with them with Bon Jovi at the Palladium for Rip. That was cool. Thanks, Lon Friend. Yeah, he's awesome. So I know you're a big Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin fan. Those were two of your favorite bands. Did you ever get to meet Aerosmith or meet uh, Robert Plant or Jimmy Page? Yeah, I have met Robert Plant and I've never met anybody from Aerosmith we played we were scheduled to play two shows with Aerosmith it was um, Black Rose Warrant Metallica and Aerosmith I think and so we played one night and then the second night it was raining and all this shit was going down and so we were the only band that ended up not playing the second night and um yeah so those those was my two experiences but I didn't meet anybody in the band Joey and Jerry and Steven hung around, hung out with Steven Tyler and uh, in his dressing room and said he was a super sweet, nice guy and took pictures and stuff like that. So I didn't meet, I didn't meet him. And then we played a show in Europe with Paige and plant and um, a couple of the guys went down to meet 
to their dressing room to say hi. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to meet Jimmy Page. <laughs> really? <laughs> he's a god. He's he's a god. Yeah, I didn't want to make him human, man. I'd met Robert Plant and got to speak, spend some time with him, talking for about 15, 20 minutes at Barney's Beanery one night at like two in the morning. That was crazy, crazy story. But uh, yeah, I just didn't want to go. The guys went down and said, you know, met him, said hi, said he was super nice. And um, and what I did do though is I stood right next to his guitar tech uh, for twenty-two Led Zeppelin songs at uh, at midnight in in Switzerland. Oh, that's pretty cool. Beautiful, perfect night. Yeah, they just they opened up with immigrant song. They had string section. They had a rhythm guitarist, and uh, and they just went out there and just killed twenty two Led Zeppelin songs. That was just amazing. I could touch his guitars. I was just standing right right there. That's a know. cool story. That's very cool. So fifteen feet away. <laughs> uh, I know that you know you saw that you had to have seen the movie The Dirt with Motley Crue. Do you think that uh, yeah. Will- Warrant will ever do a uh, biopic like that? Because you guys have got a pretty crazy story. I, I'd definitely watch that. Yeah, our story is very similar to a lot of other bands, you know. Band does well, band does drugs, band has divorces, band has lawsuits, band breaks up, band gets back together. It's kind of the same same story we've, we've all heard, just different names and stuff. But uh, that's, you know, you never know. Something like that could happen. I enjoyed watching The Dirt. That was, yeah. that was good. Yeah, and it was then, a good movie. Did you guys have a new album that you're that's coming out? You guys are working on some songs? No, no, no? nobody's feeling creative right now hmm. during this uh, pandemic. I know some people are get really creative, and a lot of artists are doing that. But uh, we've talked about it, you know, throwing a few riffs around here and there. Nothing's come up come of it yet. So yeah, well, I know you have some other projects. Uh, we we should promote like you have the Cherry Pie Skateboard. You've got the uh, Down Boys music that you do for TV and film, and then you have the you're fixing up guitars too, right? So you're staying pretty busy. Yeah, we got the skateboards really cool. You know, go to Warrant Rocks um, at Warrant Rocks on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. You'll see. You know, we post stuff about skateboards. You can go to our website WarrantRocks.com and uh, find a link to merchandise in our store and the skateboard. It's really cool. Um, as far as um, me recently, I've just been buying uh, Les Paul Jr. guitars, Epiphones, and uh, I sand them down, tear them apart, paint them. You know, some crazy. I call it punk rock. I call them punk rock guitars because they're all spray paint and and they're not perfect. They look old. They look beat up. I put stickers on them, and so yeah, people have been really responding to that. I've done. Well, I have orders. I finished 14 today and I have orders up to 17 so far. So I got three more to do. Wow. That's keeping <laughs> so people busy. are really responding to it and buying it. They're hand, hand signed. Uh, they're numbered. So that makes them collectible. They're original art. Uh, no two of them look the same. So it's kind of a cool thing to have, to have if you're a, a fan of, of warrant and, oh, yeah. you, and you dig just, I, I think a lot of these guys are just hanging them on the, in the, on the wall in their man cave. Yeah. Know? That's an awesome man cave thing for sure. Very cool. Yeah. And then, yeah. Jerry and I started a company called down boys music in 2011 and we do, uh, we've submitted music for television shows. And I think we've had about 1800 pieces of music, um, placed in different various cable TV shows and stuff. So, um, yeah, so we got that, we got warrant, we got down boys music and we got our merch. Um, and we're just dying to get back to work. We're excited yeah. to get back out and play. That's what we love to do the most is, uh, you know, go out and tour. That's where, all our, that's where our, that's how we butter our bread, so to speak. Was, Absolutely. Uh, going yeah. out and playing live. 
I can't wait to see it. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Um, I like to end with a charity. Uh, is there a charity that you work with? I can't remember. Yeah, me personally, uh, in Temecula, California, I got introduced to a charity called Michelle's Place. And Michelle passed away from breast cancer and mm-hmm. her family started this organization like 15 years ago or whatever it was. And I got involved with it and helping them raise money and donating money and, you know, donating guitars for auctions and stuff like that. And they just do great work there in the community. And now that was originally just all uh, breast cancer people that they helped, you know, getting them wigs and doctors and groceries and, you know, just helping people out in the community. They're going through a real hard and scary time. And you can see what they do. You can see where the money goes. And um, so michellesplace.org, check them out. Okay. You want to donate something to a really cool organization that really helps people in the community. Um, they've helped thousands of, unfortunately, there's been thousands of people that have had breast cancer in the area. And yeah. um, and they've just been a really great help in watching them. So, yeah, that's, okay. that's who I cool. Uh, I'll put like that in the notes. Who I like to support yeah. as a, out in the, you know. Okay. Out in the open. Of course, I like to donate to other stuff too. Just you see a good cause or you see yeah. a good fund or one of your friends is sick and they're trying to raise money for hospital bills. You know, we do stuff like that. But the one the one organization is uh, Michelle's Place that I've really okay. gotten behind. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. It's like you're doing like a charity for me because this is I'm a huge fan. So <laughs> to talk to this was like it was amazing. To, if 13 year old me could see myself now, it'd be it'd be amazing. So thank you for making my yeah. dream come true. Yeah, man. Thanks for the nice words. And uh, I enjoy listening to your podcast. You do a great job with it. Very cool. What? Are you serious? <laughs> that is such a huge compliment. That's amazing. Hey, man, said that. I subscribed. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, when you reached out to me, I went wow. and checked out the podcast before I say yes to the interview. I'm like, this guy's really, really good, man. So, I don't know what yeah. to say to that. That's a, that's the biggest compliment I've ever heard in my life. That's amazing. Thank well, you cool. so much. Yeah, well, no, it's true, man. All right. It's true. So keep up the good work. Okay. I'm a subscriber. And uh, if people are interested in checking out my guitars, just real yes. quick, you can go to uh, at Punk Rock Guitars on Instagram. And uh, I, I have a little account that I started okay. you know, a few months ago when I started doing the guitar. So if anybody's interested in taking a look at what the hell I'm painting, okay, I'll put that, yeah. like, go to punk rock guitars. I'll put it in the notes for sure. Thank you so much, Eric. All right, buddy. Thanks, okay. man. And have a great weekend. It's yeah. Friday. I don't yeah. know when this podcast is coming out. I'll try but... to get out today. Yeah. Thanks. All right, bud. Okay. Take bye-bye. Care. All right. This was a very special episode to me. I want to thank Eric Turner from Warrant. Check out the full catalog of this band. It's available everywhere, uh, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. Check out their website and the links I put in the notes and follow Eric and Warren on social media uh, to keep up with what they're doing. You can follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, If you could subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or YouTube, that helps. If you want to write me a review, that helps more. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Again, this is a very iconic episode for me because of what this band means to me personally. So I want to give uh, some shout outs to some people who have really helped me, help support me through this show. Uh, Bruce Noslo, my aunt Trish, my cousin Tina and her husband, Will, who I had Will on the show. Uh, my brother, Joe, my parents, my threading boys, Rob West and Alejandro, uh, just so many more. I'm probably forgetting people. Um, the boys at uh, Decibel Geek Podcast, they gave me a shout out on their uh, podcast. So I want to return the favor here. Check out the Decibel Geek Podcast. If you like rock music podcasts, that's a good one. Uh, And last, but certainly not least, I want to thank my girlfriend, Dana, 
who's been so supportive of been saving this wine here for a special occasion. You saw this at the beginning. I, I We opened it. We had a little issue with the cork, but we got it. Uh, Dana, why don't you come on in and have some wine with me? This should be interesting because I have not had a drink since COVID started. Six months of no drink. I wanted to be in good shape in case I got COVID. Uh, now I can die a happy man. Eric Turner said I'm good at what I do, so that's that's enough for me. So cheers. cheers. Have a great day or night, and remember to shoot for the moon. Bye.